I always feel like that 30 seconds is the longest 30 seconds ever. <laughs> and then when it starts ending, I'm like, oh, whoa, whoa. Okay. <laughs> oh, let me get ready. But, I love the look, though. I love the hair. Thank you. You know, I had to cut it in and redo it again. I was like, oh, I colored it too much. Now it's time to start again. Mm. And it's been thicker than ever. Like, I'm so surprised by it. I'm like, is this me? Is this what you look like? Mm -hmm. oh, the weather. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and yeah, this cold weather definitely will make your curls do a cool thing. <laughs> and then mm -hmm. we have our first viewer. Hey, Pachancia. Hey, Pachancia. So far, we have two viewers. We're going to wait a few minutes before we start. But okay. yeah. this orange is so nice on you. Or is that a peach? Thank you. I don't know. <laughs> maybe coral. Maybe it was a coral. Yeah. Probably. Probably coral. It's got hit by the sun a few times. But no. mm -hmm. It'll, that'll happen. In this field, it's safer to go with colors like gray because when you're working in the sun and in the water, if the gray fades, it always still just looks like gray. Whereas black starts to look dingy, navy mm. blue especially, you start to get this rust color going with navy blue, like, yeah. <laughs> the worst. I like this one, because I'll be like, I don't see in the mangrove bush, and if someone's trying to find me, then he's like, okay, where's the red? Where's the orange? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. There's my aunt. Hi, Aunt Denise. Hi, Auntie. <laughs> awesome. All right, so we got about seven viewers. We can we can probably start. I know the prime minister, of course, has an address, which I think every other episode he tends to, to schedule his addresses for right after my episode, which I guess is good for me if he promoted it. But nonetheless, welcome everyone to episode five of season two of Siren Sundays. Today, my lovely guest is Anessa, who will be talking to us about mangroves and the coastal environment. So, Anessa, tell the people who you are, what you do, and your background in education and experience. Hi, everyone. Thanks, Ashanti, for having me. So, I am a senior environmental scientist by title with Braun Limited. Uh, by trade, I'm a marine ecologist in favor of the nearshore and coastal environment as much as possible. <laughs> um, I've worked with mangroves since my senior year in college. I started to think about it in University of Hawaii, actually, where mangroves are invasive, believe it or not. Wow. Yeah. So there was a, my senior project was looking at the impact of uh, red mangroves in Waiopai tide pools, which was ironically a protected area, right? And my research has basically just found, yes, it was impacting the water quality. There was a lot of tannins from the mangroves into the tide pools and that potentially could impact the wildlife. And then I moved, when I graduated university, I started working at Atlantis and they had already established some red mangrove nursery setup. Um, and I just continued it. Uh, re it really blossomed when I took the lead on it. And then I helped with, you know, organizing the first donation. And that really started their program of growing red mangroves to donate to conservation projects. And then it just continued throughout my career over the last 10, 11 years working with mangroves. Nice. So 
what what made you start it? Was it because of your work in Hawaii that made you just get into mangroves or have you always just kind of had an interest in mangroves specifically? I don't know what started it. I can't say. I know I've always had an affinity for the water, an affinity for the beach, right? Mm -hmm. I just knew there were these funny looking plants, <laughs> right? Like it's a plant. Why is it growing in the ocean? It's directly in the water. This is not possible. What is this thing? Why does it look like this? You know? Mm -hmm. um, so I always was aware of mangroves. Um, when I, like I said, when I started my senior year in, in University of Hawaii, that's actually when I found about, about the Xumaki's Land and Sea Park. That is what they were teaching us. That was the first ever park. You know, that's, that's our wow. And then we learned about what was in that park, which was mangroves. So I kind of, that started my love affair, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, and it started with red mangroves. And then I explored the other species, the red, the black and white. I was like, okay, all right, this is a thing. It's an ecosystem as well as a, a, an individual plant. So it was, it was just interesting. It's all encompassing. It's one thing, but it does so much, right? So I don't know if that answers your question, <laughs> but it's just it's really kind of, it happened. I didn't really plan to always work in mangroves. It just was always there. You know, that's usually the best thing to do is just what is the thing that's just always there just kind of go with the flow like that's mm. clearly like what you're meant to be doing you know yeah i think so i like it so far so good so can you tell our audience briefly like you know we already talked mangroves are plants that grow in the ocean but what are mangroves right and you can name mm. the four species because i think a lot of people just see that one type and yeah. why are they so important for the coastal ecosystem okay so mangroves are basically plants that can live in salty environments just in a nutshell right mm -hmm. so you have in the bahamas we have true mangroves which are like the red black white mangrove i will butcher the scientific names rise off rise off mango is the red <laughs> avicinia germinans i think it's a black and laguncularia lismos is the white yeah, no better than me. You can look that up. We can Google that definitely, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> and then you have the buttonwood, which some people classify as a mangrove, but I like to consider them an affiliate of the mangrove because they can grow exclusive of the mangrove habitat, right? They don't only grow with mangroves. Okay. So I say I say they can survive some salt but they don't necessarily, they can move inland. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure, have you seen, they're kind of ornamental. Some people use them for hedges. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's the same actual species that grows in and among. Yeah, there's just a bunch of the mangrove right one. They just. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so basically that's what a mangrove is. They survive the salt in different ways. Some excrete the salt on the leaves, some have membranes on the roots that block the salt from coming in. Uh, but basically, yeah, that, that's how they're able to survive in that harsh environment. And the reason they're so important is because they provide habitat for a lot of different species, marine species and terrestrial species. So there's a lot of bird nests, a lot of foraging that happens from the land side, crabs, right? And then you have a lot of fish habitat, lobster, 
So the, the snappers and all of the fish that we, all the delicacies we like to eat, you know, they're often found in, in the mangroves, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the really important benefits of mangroves is the, the benefit to increased biodiversity. Okay. Another benefit is they actually prevent or help prevent erosion along coastlines. Okay. So they're right at that interface of land and sea. You know, the ocean is salty, it's very harsh, and our country is made of limestone. So it, the rock is pretty soft. So once you have that ocean beating against that limestone, it, it you know, it erodes, it washes away. And yeah. if have that mangrove in the in the middle there kind of slows down that rate of erosion. And so you had said you had looked at mangroves, which are actually invasive in Hawaii, and you've obviously now studied mangroves in the Bahamas. Is there anything that makes the mangroves in the Bahamas unique? Uh, Well, yes. Um, So we have uh, our sandbag how do I explain it? We have a lot of flats. Flat is like the colloquial, colloquial term for it. So we have <laughs> sand banks. Sorry, sometimes. So we have a lot of um, sand banks that are really shallow. And we have a lot of red mangroves that grow on those sand banks. And they are often referred to as dwarf red mangroves. So we have a lot of dwarf red mangroves compared to a lot of other countries that also have red mangroves, exact same species of red mangroves. And our population is pretty widespread from the north to the south, from the east to the west. They're just everywhere. Right? Yes, they're under threat. Yes, they're going down. But by and large, we still have a pretty good population. Right. So I remember you had actually done some work with like mangrove genetics. Do you want to talk about that at all? Or is that, is that confidential? No, I can talk about it. I can talk about it a little bit. Right. Uh, so I worked with well, Bahamas National Trust. Um, you collected a lot of samples for me. Thank you. <laughs> so um, I collected samples from, or we, the team, right? Mm-hmm. All around the country, red mangroves. And the purpose of the research was really trying to figure out if we had a lot of different families of red mangroves or different populations within the Bahamas or if it's one homogenous area. And what my research found is actually about four different families, right, of red mangroves. So yes, they're the same species, but if I were to draw an analogy, it's like when you do your family genetics, like I am close to my mommy and my daddy and my brothers, my aunts, my uncles, we're the same family unit, right? And you have your family unit, you have the jumps, you, that you're genetically similar to those people, right? We are both, yeah, we're both females, we're both humans, right? Same species, but we have separate family groups. Right. Okay, so to keep the analogy going, right? If you have reproduction within the same family unit, right? We know what happens. That decreases your your fitness. Mm -hmm. That decreases the health of that that offspring. And what we want in conservation, what we want in restoration are fit individuals. Individuals that are likely to survive 
fluxes and changes in the environment because climate change is real. Change is happening every day. Mm -hmm. So we have the most fit individual as possible in our conservation and restoration projects. We want the most fit individuals in our protected areas, right? right. So when I say there's four different family groups of red mangroves, we want to make sure when we are helping the reproduction along through our restoration projects, we want to make sure we have mixing of different family groups. Hmm. And so has that been happening? To a certain degree. So this is the first type of research of its kind here. So it has not been, that information has not been used because we just didn't know, right? Right. You know, so benefits of research, you just keep going, you keep learning, you keep progressing. We just didn't know. Um, I've shared my work with uh, Justin Lewis from Bonefish Hopping and Trust and with uh, Bahamas National Trust and with the uh, Department of Environmental Planning and Protection. And I hope that it is used as, as best as, as possible. Right? Right. I'm definitely trying to work with those groups as restoration continues. So does that mean, because with restoration efforts, does that mean it's better to intentionally mix these groups? Like if you know that you have samples from the north, I mean, I guess you're getting the procopagules, the young mangroves, red mangroves, of course. Is it, you can like transplant them into different areas or is it safer to keep them near? So it's kind of like not completely brand new, but am I making sense? I feel like I'm... Yeah, yeah. no, no, you're making sense. So it's, what you should do is actually look at each restoration site as an independent restoration site and kind of design your project for that site, right? Um, right. So I don't want to give a blanket answer that says, yes, move it from here and put it over here. It really depends on the site. So what you want to do, the first thing you want to do, um, after you're ready, ensure, you know, your hydrology is fine, you know, there's no pollution or, or whatever other problems there may be that may have caused the decline in the mangroves in that area. Once you're ready, so of those or address those issues you want to really look at the genetics of the area and say where would the mangroves have come from that would have been growing here where would they have come from where is their initial source and right. if you could get mangroves from that source area and plant them to your restoration site that would be the best option because you are boosting the natural wave of things. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then another option is if you cannot get, I am <laughs> Yes, I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> so, um, other way, <laughs> if you can't get that source, um, yeah. get as close to that source as possible because what you want to do is mimic what's been happening in nature as close as possible. Right. So what would be some of the negative impacts if I was to say, okay, this source area, we're not going to get it from this one. We're going to just randomly pick from somewhere else. Would that be detrimental to the environment or it's just, it's just not the preferred method? Isabel, please. Sorry. <laughs> so, um, it can be detrimental. It doesn't necessarily have to be, right? So that's why I said you have to really look at each area um, individually, case by case, uh, the situation, right? So 
Mangroves are what you call foundation species, and there's a lot of work in rainforests and other terrestrial ecosystems on foundation species that shows uh, the genetic diversity of the foundation species impacts the subsequent species that populate the area. Right? Okay. So let's say, okay, this is the perfect example, right? So mangroves have been shown to uh, decrease wave energy and wind energy in, in storms, right? Mm -hmm. And the way they do that is by their physical, you know, their anatomy, right? So if there's a lot of roots, <laughs> if, there's, <laughs> like a <laughs> if there's a lot of roots, um, you can, the, the wave energy is gonna be broken up a lot more than a mangrove that only has one or two prop roots. Right. Okay. If there's a lot of branches, you, that mangrove can break up more wind energy, right? Than mm -hmm. uh, a mangrove that has one. But the basis of that anatomy is genetics, right? So if you know that this certain genotype tends to produce a mangrove that has a boatload of roots and you want to restore an area that has high erosion by wave energy, you would mm. want that particular genotype in this particular area. Right. So uh, my research is not at that level yet. I would <laughs> love for it to be. <laughs> I would love for it to be. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the goals that I would like for my PhD, but it's not there right now. Right now, my research only shows there are four different groups. Um, mm. and my thesis will talk about, or talks about the the pros and cons of mixing them versus not. Okay. Interesting. And so, so at this point, um, when you guys collect them, you're already collecting them at the proper use stage. You're not doing anything like tissue cultures and, and all of this growing in the lab stuff yet. That's in the... Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I know people that have done that. I have okay. not. Um, I've grown red, black, and white in soil, sand, and a mixture of soil and sand. I've not had any hydroponic, aquaponic experience. Right. And so how, how do you do that? You just pick them up and put them in soil? I know you had like little ones, right? The black and... Yeah, so um, the black mangroves and the red mangroves, they're seeds actually called propagules, both of them. The okay. red pretty much I think more people know. It looks like little pods, like little vanilla bean pods. Can you can you see this? Yeah, I can right. see this. <laughs> stick it in the, yeah, you just stick it in the dirt or the sediment. Um, and there's a, like a brown part to the bottom. It looks like a pencil. Mm -hmm. And you, you just stick that brown part in the soil with the green tip pointing up. And they just work their magic and you just grow. Oh, well, and we the do black yeah, the black one, yeah. What? No, I said you do have a black oh, one. Oh, this is the... Yeah. I was trying to find... Can you see inside it? Yeah. That one looks so much more like plant-like to me. Is that is that weird to say, you know? Like, it definitely looks more like it, it's further inshore than how the red one is just very, like, straight up. Like, does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. Yeah, they definitely have different growth, <laughs> growth mechanisms. Yeah, because yeah. that one, the black one's so quick to shoot out all those leaves, whereas the mm -hmm. red, it just has those two, and it's like, I'm going to get as tall as I can, 
and get these leaves up and out, which I imagine it needs to do, you know, if it's if it's mm -hmm. in the water, right? So yeah. So the black one looks like, it looks like a lima bean, right? Mm -hmm. And then and it's ready to grow, ready to germinate. It's just the two sides of the lima, lima bean. Lima bean, yeah, it just pops open. And looks really weird. I can send you a photo when you can post it later. Right? Yes, but it, that'd, be, that'd be fun. And then it just starts to grow really quickly because it doesn't have all of the energy built up in it or as much energy as say the red mangrove propagule. So the red mangrove has all the good juicy stuff from the mummy tree just sitting mm -hmm. in it for it to grow. So it takes longer for it to use up that energy before it decides, okay, I need leaves. I need to do something on my own now. Yeah. So, <laughs> difference. Yeah. Interesting. And do you see that kind of progression with the seeds as you go further, you know, in? So another interesting thing, what I, I learned. So typically when you learn about mangoes, right? They say, they, the collective they, right? They say <laughs> it's red along the coast, and then it's a black line of mangroves, and then there's a white line of mangroves, and then within that white, you have buttonwood mixed in. That's how they teach it to you, right? Mm -hmm. To some degree, that exists in the Bahamas, to some degree. But I've had people come from my university, Manchester Metropolitan University, and different scientists over the years just working with me on different mangrove projects, and they're all amazed that that structure doesn't really apply here. So we have a lot of mixed right going on. <laughs> yeah, we just mix right up, right? So there's black that's growing directly in four or five feet of water uh, when it shouldn't be. It should be behind the reds. Yeah. And uh, the dwarfs, you have some areas. I remember in Cat Island when I was collecting samples, there are areas where the talls and the dwarfs are all just mixed together. And then there's right. areas like Agua where you have a vast expanse of dwarfs. So we're pretty, pretty unique growth habitat. You know, and I always try to tell people the Bahamas is so unique when it comes to the species that we have, whether it be plant or animal, and people don't mm -hmm. believe me. So that's even one of the things about this show. I was like, I hear so many cool things from people, and I'm like, do does everyone know this? Like, are we aware mm -hmm. of this? And maybe if we were aware of it, we'd be more adamant about actually protecting it, you know, but... Anyway, I don't want to digress into the conservation bit too much yet. But no, we fine. Questions about transplanting. I know we have Jewel. Oh, that's a like, big. Wow. Okay. All right, Jewel. Well, okay. I'm going to read it on the side. And so it's sort of like a block <laughs> whole face. But for collection of red mangrove propagules for restoration work here in the Bahamas, do you suggest placing them in fresh water or seawater for growing and monitoring before outplanting? I've been doing some reading, but would love to hear your take on this. Okay, so it depends on where they're going. Okay. So we have inland mangroves and fresh-ish kind of water. Okay. Uh, which is another interesting thing, right? <laughs> so if you're collecting propagules to grow in that type of area, you wouldn't want to start growing them in salt water. Okay. You have to spend some time acclimating them. And if you collect in to go in salt water, yes, grow them in salt water so that they have less acclimation time. Right. And she, of course, says sorry for the long question. It's okay. It's fine. <laughs> that's, and that's such a great question because I didn't even realize that you could almost kind of manipulate the seed in that way to get it accustomed to growing in something that's a bit more fresh water or completely like you know, growing in salt water, which then brings the question 
is it that you make, can you make your own like saltwater solution or is it best to just go straight to the ocean, collect your saltwater, what are you seized with that? <laughs> I mean, we live in the Bahamas. I feel like, <laughs> you know, I don't know how I'm going to get in trouble with depth for this, uh, but I think we should just use salt water. That's, you know, of course, everyone gets your permissions as needed, but I would recommend <laughs> using the salt water. Yeah, I just know it's it's always hard for me. I think when you you got to mix the salt and the water and get in the ratio right. But if I guess I would say if you live near the area, it's okay to sprinkle a bit of the the seawater yeah. because you're gonna put them in, you know, on it. But yeah. we, we do have another question um, about the planting. Are they easy to transplant in different areas? Like, how do you? What is the process of you know getting these seeds or these these propagules as they are called? Mm -hmm and growing them and then transplanting them into these new areas. Okay, so I don't know if the question is specific to reds or blacks or whites, mm -hmm. uh, but um, like most plants, um, you wanna wait until the root is established enough so that when you want, when you move the tree mm -hmm. or the seedling or the young plant, the, the root ball stays intact with a little bit of the soil. It just makes it easier to transplant, right? Mm -hmm. And lesson learned from my, you know, failed experiments over the years, right? Um, I was experimenting with different uh, red mangrove nursery types. Yeah. So you want to ensure that the roots of the roots do not become entangled of the different plants. That would make transplanting very difficult and decrease survival rate. So you want to have. Um, one plant per pot or per per bag because you can plant in like bags mangroves are pretty resilient you can plant in pretty much anything yeah so, yeah there's some countries they they plant in coconut chucks to just they'll just grow on anything oh wow so yeah just make sure you have independent trees to transplant okay uh -huh. that's the first thing and then you just you want no entanglements <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> I see you, no entanglements. <laughs> um, and then again, depending on what you've grown it in. So if you if you have it in soil, like these I have in soil, um, but if they're going to another soil area, try to keep it growing in soil. If it's going to a sandy area, start it growing in sand so that when you move it over, it's you don't have to acclimate as much. Right. So if you have to, it's fine. Um, mm -hmm. If you have soil, move into a sandy area. It's like other coastal plants when you when you're moving them over you just add uh you dig a hole and you find you just get a little bit of soil you line the trench or the hole with a little bit of soil and then you add a plant and then just cover it up so that'll give the by the time the plant grows through that soil that you've added to the bottom of your hole or your trench it would have acclimated to the sand okay yeah so there's a way to do it um i just prefer soil to soil sand to sand yeah so I know they, yeah, they specified it was red to grow on the coastline. Um, okay. Um, yeah, so I, that, that applies to red and black. The white is, it's like a regular plant when you're transplanting it. it it's not as tricky. So I don't know if anybody has, if she has agriculture background. Hmm. I think I wonder if, if she's more asking because she wants to put mangroves somewhere along a coastline. But I'll I'll see because I know we have a bit of a delay, so I'll see if she pops more details in the comments. But we do have one more from Jewel. <laughs> it's shorter. <laughs> 
How long do you suggest for acclimation if you start them in fresh water? Is there really a difference? Like if you do fresh or change it to seawater? Um, you will lose some. You will lose some. If you do them to fresh water. If you start it in fresh water and you just plant it straight into salt water. You, you oh, will no. Yeah. But hmm. I wonder if that's what she meant. We'll see if she clarifies. But I guess it means, does it take longer to acclimate if they're in fresh water or salt water? Like, oh, wait. So, I'm so acclimate. So I had some growing inside sun in my yard and I was just watering with fresh water. Um, and I would just or I'd say a little bit of, what's a little bit? It's like a five gallon bucket. And I had a, I'd say maybe a gallon of salt water I would pour in. I would still water it in fresh water, but I, I poured in a gallon. And the plants weren't happy, I must say. One of the leaves started to turn yellow, it dropped off. I was very worried it was gonna die. Quite in a, quite a few, lose some. <laughs> quite a few that, um, of the leaves dropped off, but it survived. And oh. then I moved it. Yeah. And then I moved it over. I did that for a week and a half, maybe two weeks. And and I moved it into a coastal area. Um, and it was fine. Mm. So I would say two weeks. That was like 10 trees, you know. Mm-hmm. So what I have a more experience doing is growing it in salt water for salt water. Growing oh. it in a freshwater area for brackish. For mm. brackish. And where would be, excuse me, where would be an example of a, of a brackish area that we would put a mangrove? Like, do we have any that need restoration right now, currently in the Bahamas, or? No, that I'm aware of. There used to be, uh, there was a restoration project that Dr. Kathleen Sullivan Sini did in Victoria Pond in Exuma. Uh, and I've helped with restoration projects in um, Nicaragua and a few other countries that have a little bit different situation okay Okay. we have some clarification from jewel yeah how long does it take to transition them if you start them in fresh water and you're trying to plant them in salt water which i think that's what you were saying is a a no-go yeah i like i said it was about i would say about two weeks um but it also depends on how big your trees are um i think just stop wearing them in salt water yeah, so it's don't don't do the switch. You're more likely to lose them then. Yeah. All right, and we have another question. And after this one, I'll probably continue on because this just seems to be this is like this point that people are really curious about. Hi, Anessa. Has any work been done on the mangrove sediment microbial community here in the Bahamas? Coming from William. Uh, I read a paper, it's a very old paper that I can send Lashanti to share. It was done in San Salvador at the Genius Research Center, and it was one study, and that's all that I could find. Um, there are a few scientists that are working in the mangrove habitat. They may have more knowledge. This is Dr. Craig Lehman, Dr. Craig Dahlgren, Kathleen Salvo Seeley. They have uh, a lot more experience than I do working in that type of work. Interesting. I know William actually does research with soil, so I think that's why he Uh, asks that question. I see you, William. Nonetheless, 
So one of the things I did want to ask you is, you know, mangroves and climate change. Like, what are some of the, the key things that we see mangroves do to help us against climate change? Are they being affected? Are we affecting them? Like, what what is the relationship that we can see between mangroves and fighting against climate change? Or are they losing? Are we losing our mangroves? Is it too hot for them? <laughs> I don't know if it's too hot. Um, so yeah, so mangroves have been, have been touted as, you know, the, the big mitigator of climate change, right? And that's just because of where they are. They're at that interface. So sea level will rise and they can buffer some of that. So that's, that's one instance. Another example is they, they fix carbon, right? Um, and if you lose that, you lose that habitat, you lose that carbon sequestration and carbon is the, the big carbon is really the cause of the change, right? So if you that carbon all of a sudden, you're gonna have an impact on temperature, ocean salinity and, and everything else. So yes, mangoes do have an impact on climate change. Mm -hmm especially globally. I think there was a paper done in Eleuthera that showed that the mangroves on the uh, mangroves in a French line creek did actually sequester carbon. And there was another paper that just generally said MPAs in the Bahamas. And I think that's some of the work you, you led <laughs> during your time at BNT. So some of that, um, you know, <laughs> so MPAs do actually help sequester carbon in the Bahamas, but of course yes. that's specific to mangroves, that MPAs had mangroves in it as well. So it was talking about seagrasses and mangroves combined and forests. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's one of those, um, I don't know if a good term for it is a best kept secret, but a lot of people mm -hmm. look at, oh, you know, let's, let's build more sustainably. Um, and I know in my course I just did, sustainable development apparently is oxymoron, but I can leave that right there. But you know, <laughs> sustainably, but they're still picking areas to build that have these wetlands and these mangroves, and then they're cutting the mangroves down and they're filling in the mm -hmm. wetlands. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, you just, it's like, do you not realize that this is yeah. exactly the opposite, you know, what you want to do, like this whole reclaiming land thing. And, and even just when people want to reclaim land and cut down mangroves and say, oh, well, we'll, we'll just put more mangroves somewhere else. Right. It's like you're yeah. still you're not making up for the impact that you have in this area that you've just destroyed, basically. Yeah. So, yeah, I think the carbon storage one or carbon sequestration, if I want to, if I said it properly. Yeah. <laughs> You know, that just like rolled yeah. off the tongue so nicely. I think <laughs> a lot of people don't realize that we have all of these things that we do that make such a big impact to the greater environment in the world, right? So support MPAs, guys. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, so what you're talking about is, is mitigation, um, yeah. mitigation, which is a little bit of what um, I do at Braun, right? So it's always tricky if you are... Um, proposing to remove an old mangrove forest that has sequestered carbon for decades. Yep. You build there, but then you say, I'm going to plant mangroves elsewhere. But what right. you're going to be doing is planting a young mangrove forest that has not sequestered carbon. So there, there is a stop gap that we have to figure out. And I'm mm -hmm. glad, that, you know, DEP is now officially DEP, right? This is a department and, you know, we can work together as environmental consultants with the NGO community. We can kind of figure out how best to, to deal with it. Right. So it's interesting the next couple of years. And so, and, you know, you said that just now, you know, obviously you don't want to try to old mangrove to new mangrove. 
And I just thought, can you actually transplant old mangroves? Like, has that ever been done? I am looking into that right now. I'm going to try. I'll come back for an update. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm trying. I'm Season three. trying. Let <laughs> me try it. Definitely. And so I know oh, one of the audience members, they clarified their point. Uh, it's a bit lengthy. But uh, yeah, so this is the one asking about replanting the red mangroves and about putting them in front of a beachfront property on the island to break the waves from coming too far inland. Is it a good idea to do that? You know, I th and I think she's asking basically, if you have an area that's beachfront property and you just want to reduce the wave action and you just decide to transplant mangroves further out, is that even a good idea to do? Like if it's an area that never really had mangroves before? Yeah, so you you would have to look at the situation again, like I said, case by case. Yeah. Um, just rule of thumb, you wouldn't want to introduce a whole species or habitat in an area where it didn't exist before because there's a reason it didn't exist there before. You know, mm -hmm. what yeah. is that, then, right? Um, but I mean, if you wanted to, there is a way. My colleague, actually, Kelly Ashley Armstrong, she has been doing a lot of research. She actually did a couple of courses on how to um, change an ecosystem, but create the same ecosystem service. Um, so um, it's like, and I'm sorry, Kelly, if you're watching and I mess this up, but um, it's, uh, <laughs> if you have a, um, if you have a seagrass area that's in a creek, right? And you want to change it to a mangrove area. How do you still keep the same ecosystem service value? There you go, there she is, wetland design. Way to go, <laughs> Kelly, way to come through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah definitely i think yeah so, actually... so to help your the viewer um it's possible but you also want to consider what else comes with the mangroves right yeah. so the mangroves um they will help to slow down the the, the energy but the leaves are going to attract birds right and crabs uh, do you want all of that wildlife? I'm not saying you don't. I just want you to think about all options, right? So it is possible. Just do a little bit more research and try to figure out if you want everything else that comes with the mangroves. Right. Definitely. Because if, if you let them stay there long enough, that'll become a whole nursery area for sharks. Like you got the little baby sharks come in. You get the big sharks. Yes. Coming off you the turtles. Yep. And the turtles. Yes. So mm -hmm. that it is true. And I think... That sounds like a very interesting topic, what you were just talking about with Kelly Ashley, the whole wetland design thing. Can you actually have that trade-off, you know? And I did a bit of work with this whole like offsetting and, and ecosystem services and maintaining the value of the area. And it's such an interesting topic. Like, yeah. And I know one of the things that I found really interesting is human intervention. Like we always just think, you know, and then I don't want to teeter into a topic that might be very controversial. <laughs> I just think sometimes it's like, we just always want to kind of intervene when it's like, just look at how the area is naturally and we must work around that as opposed to let's just break it down and build it back up into something different. You know, so oftentimes it's not the answer, but again, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to be teetering into a topic that neither of us should really be teetering into. I don't want to. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> 
it's but I understand what you're saying. I, I get it. You know, and oh, I know Kelly Ashley actually. What did she say? It's a course offered by the Swamp School. Similar courses are offered by other accredited education institutions and the Society of Wetland Scientists. So I'd have to look into that. Principles of wetland design. Mm -hmm. We will segue on into talking about sustainable livelihoods. That's also something that I think is a hot button issue right now in, in the Bahamas. Like, how can the natural environment provide sustainable livelihoods? And, and how can mangroves do that? And I know one of the things that we always used to hit home with whenever we did have public meetings is the fact that mangroves provide nursery areas for fishermen. And whether you fish them or whether you snorkel to see them, but how do you have any maybe thoughts on that? Like how can mangroves bring opportunities for sustainable livelihoods? Yeah, definitely you're right. Um, mangroves provide nursery habitat, breeding grounds for a lot of marine species that people like to look at. Mm -hmm. species, species people like to eat yes <laughs> sorry can you sorry again um what was i sustainable livelihoods so <laughs> um yeah in uh some countries um the mangoes are used uh in beekeeping and that is sustainable livelihood so you, you put your hive in a mangrove area um, and they feed on the flowers and the other organisms that live in the mangroves, not other or organisms as in animals, but the other flowers that tend to yeah. grow in the mangrove habitat. Um, a lot of, sorry, I'm getting distracted, but yes, I'm gonna say yes. <laughs> you just took off the petals off the flower. Um, <laughs> Right. Yeah. And I think that's actually interesting. I've never heard of um, beekeeping in the mangrove. I know a lot of people are getting into beekeeping at home. So that's probably actually something really interesting for someone to look into if they live near a mangrove area. I wonder what that honey would taste like. Right. I don't know. Interesting. I mean, it's also like Philippines, maybe. I don't know that anybody has tried it here yet. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. I haven't heard about it. But if I have, if I, if I find out anything, I'll shoot you the information. Yeah, definitely. And so any beekeepers watching, <laughs> to beekeeping in the mangroves. And salty, salted honey. <laughs> you, know, you know what? Why not? Because we have salted caramel. I, I, think, I think salty honey might actually taste really good. Hmm. Mm. I'm going to try that. I think I have some honey uh, <laughs> in my cupboard. But yeah, so... I know that the minute Prime Minister's talking tonight, so I don't want to stretch this too long. We have about maybe 18 minutes left. But I do want to ask, so from your perspective, you know, you being a female in STEM, you know, how can someone, and sorry, gentlemen watching, I always love when I have a woman <laughs> because I think it's, it's underrepresented. And I know one of our listeners may debate with me the fact that for the Bahamas, you know, is very heavily populated in the conservation sector by women. I still think it's important. For the representation, the grand thing is always a bit harder for us to get into certain types of fields. How did how can you suggest for somebody maybe watching, whether they be a young Bahamian or just a young person interested in doing some of this work? Because it sounds like such interesting stuff. How can someone get into mangrove conservation and restoration? Okay. So I would say um, the first thing is really do your research to find out which NGOs or conservation organizations are nearby. 
I reach out to them to see if they have any programs that are ongoing that you can volunteer mm -hmm. uh, for and with. And then definitely, please be open to volunteerism and internships. Yeah. Even if the internship is unpaid, I know, you know, these are COVID times and, you know, sometimes people just can't take an unpaid internship. But what you learn from them and the networking skills and the people that you connect with um, is just often priceless, right? So definitely be open to volunteering, okay? Okay, Eric. Hey. <laughs> so um, you could definitely reach out to me, uh, my organization. We have uh, intern programs that we're always looking to fill. Perfect. Um, I know Bonefish Tarpon and Trust, they are spearheading a massive, along with the BNT, a massive uh red mangrove flat habitat restoration project in Grand Bahama and Abaco. Nice. So I'm sure they're going to be looking for donations of plants once you follow the correct methodology. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, please follow the correct methodology, people. Please, please, please. Thank you. Um, and the other thing is always, always research yourself. Always, you know, Google Scholar or JSTOR always do your own reading, come to the table when you're volunteering, when you are participating in an internship, come to the table armed. You will be respected greatly by the people you are working with. They will be more inclined to discuss things with you, more inclined to help you out. Right. Just approach the internship as, oh, there's just something I need to do, check this box. Mm -hmm. Definitely, and I think even for me, my way into getting into the conservation sector at home I did an internship. I interned many moons ago at Dolphin Encounters. And then when I actually got a full-time job, I, I volunteered with BNT for like maybe three days. And a couple months later, I was working, you know, there. But it's so important and it sucks, right? Because I think it's hard for non-governmental organizations mm -hmm. to, provide on, to provide paid internships. But that information and that experience you gain is so important. And I, to anyone listening, definitely intern as much as you can and just get that experience because that's so invaluable. Mm -hmm. Going off to school, a lot of the, the information that contributed came from that real world experience. And mm -hmm. listening as well, don't feel the pressure to, you know, go off to school. A lot, a lot of people have the opportunity to. There are still a lot of things that you can do to make an impact in mangrove conservation, in mangrove restoration. Like Anessa said, soon enough, like maybe if you heard this and you've seen property yields floating around, try the methodology, see if you can start on your own and you can donate that. You can make an impact. And if you are doing that, to just give a shout out to the Sustainable Lifestyle Group, that's a tree that you can consider as a tree planted and you can log that in for the 100K tree planting initiative. So there's so many things I think that, that people can do to contribute without even having to go to school. And I think that's also a message that I try to drive home is uh -huh. you have to go and get a PhD to make a difference in the conservation sector. And apparently because our mangroves so cool and unique, I think there's so much data collection that can be done. I mean, as simple as just picking leaves. Like that's all <laughs> But knowing which leaf to pick, you know, that's, there's a trick to it. And yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> a way to stick it in the silica. You guys did a really good job. Thank you, you know, and you got to label it properly. It's, but, but no, and I think that's something I think you and I have talked about before, this whole citizen science thing. Like, people can get involved. Mm -hmm. and there's so many ways for Bahamians or for anybody to get involved with scientific research and make a difference and help us gather the information because 
like you said earlier, the mangroves in the Bahamas apparently are super unique. I'm very interested in in reading up on that. I think Bahamians are super unique amongst the world. Sorry mm -hmm. to everyone else listening. And so just to say that mangroves are super special too, that just makes me feel extra, extra Bahamian. Like I'm so proud of our mangroves for being different and setting the yeah, step. Love it. <laughs> love it. Love it. Yeah, exactly. So I definitely, if you can send me stuff. Yeah, and there's Melissa, right? If you can send me information, I'd be happy to post it about you know, mangrove methodology, mangrove planting, how to mm -hmm. tell which mangrove it is, maybe by looking at the seed. I think a lot of people see the red mangrove propagate floating around because I know I did before. I knew. I just was like, where's this broken branch from? Like these, all these broken ah. branches, you know, because it looks so, you know, it's just like a broken branch. But we do have a couple of suggestions. I know Kelly is recommending the program um, at UB, the Small Island Sustainability Program, which I just learned about that after the fact. And I'm actually really happy to hear that University of the Bahamas has that program going on. Did you know about that program as well? Yeah, it started after I left. Um, so I, had my, I got my associates from College of the Bahamas. Mm -hmm. uh, I changed, that started after, a couple of years after. One of my mm -hmm. colleagues, Gabby, um, Gabrielle Nini, she, she is a graduate of that, but that program. Hmm. Okay. Awesome. And we have a comment from Eric. Sorry, joined a bit late. Are there opportunities for private sector entities to collaborate on some of these important restoration projects on the horizon? Are companies open to providing expert support and collaborators? Like, can I lean on folks like you and Mark D for support? And if anybody who's been watching my show, Mark Daniels has made an appearance more than once. <laughs> I'm trying to get him again for this season. So if you're watching Mark, then we need to set the date. But yeah. So yeah. Yeah, that's definitely, definitely room you know, for collaboration. So like I mentioned earlier, I know you joined a little late. Um, so I am actually, Braun is actually working on the IW Eco project uh, with DEP. So we will be working with uh, BNT, Forestry, and other groups on Grand Bahama. So there's definitely opportunity. Awesome. And this is actually an interesting question. Is mangrove tea a thing? You know, we just make tea out of everything. In, in some countries, in some countries, yes. In some countries, yes. So the red is really rich um, tannins, because that's where tea come from. Tea, yeah. It's the tannins that leaches out into the water, and that's what we drink. So in some countries, yes. We have not done that. I am not aware of anybody doing that in the Bahamas. Now, I don't know. I know down south, um, there's a lot more bush tea happening, like Auckland's area. I don't know if they've tried it down there. Uh, I personally haven't tried it. You said which mangrove you say the other countries is used? They use red, but there are different species of red mangroves, right? So we only have one of each. We have one red, one black, one white. Um, mm. Other countries have multiple reds, multiple blacks. Right. And we also have oh, and Fred. Oh, she is also a mangrove Hi, queen. Fred. Oh, you know Fred. Hi, oh, Fred. Okay, good. Because she has her own NGO, Roots of the Sea, I think. I hope I got that right. Fred, please correct me if I'm wrong. But yeah, we definitely do need more collaboration across the islands. Um, I think that's something the Bahamas can get a lot better at is collaborating with the other countries. And I think just our proximity, you know, it's that's I think is the biggest issue. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. On why, like how can we increase collaboration? We need to go down more. I need to just no, I think um like the program you were in. All right. I think if Bahamians take a little bit 
or initiative to join um, programs like, like that one. I was also in a program, um, Conservation Leadership in the Caribbean. And it was really a program where it connected people from all over the Caribbean and um, Latin America on the Caribbean coast, right? And so we really realized, I must say it was that program that helped me realize we actually have a lot of the same issues, even though we're so far apart. And so big, you know, information sharing, lessons learned, um, effort. So I think, I think we're going to get that. I think we're moving in the right direction. You know, just, we went to different conferences where people are from different parts of the, the region. I think we're moving in the right direction, honestly. I think so. And I think especially like the fact that you and I both know Fred, that's already astounding. Like we are clearly networking properly, you know? So hopefully, I mean, I would like, I definitely would like to see us as Bahamians collaborate with the Caribbean. I think oh, and that's probably a historical thing, how we've been so far removed, but we're getting back there, you know? We just started mm -hmm. travel again. That's a sign, right? <laughs> but not again, we just started it. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't, again, I know this prime minister is going to yeah. talk soon. I don't want to dwindle too long. And oh, thanks. We got Fred. <laughs> yes, definitely. We will. Yes. Q and A. If there are any last minute questions, you can send that now. But in the meantime, Vanessa, do you have any final thoughts for people listening that you would maybe want to, you know, if you had to do an elevator pitch for mangroves or something? I know, right? What is my elevator pitch? Mangroves are more than a red mangrove. You have red, black, and white. And it is when you have the three working together in an ecosystem, you see the most benefits. So I guess we should work on mangrove ecosystems versus just red mangrove. Hmm. Yeah, that, that is a good point, I think. When people think about mangroves, they do just think of the red and yeah. the fact that it's, like you said, that ecosystem. And even if we want to take it even bigger, just the marine environment, mangroves, seagrass, and coral reef. And I think coral reefs, they're great. They get all the attention. And I think people forget that, you know, it's a team effort here. Yeah, it really is a team effort. That's a good one. It's a team effort. Yeah. yeah. So we have to, we have to work together and we have to work with them together to get things done. Um, I don't see any other questions. I don't know. If, I think I think this was a great episode. Thanks so much, Anessa. I really appreciate you taking the time out on your wonderful Sunday afternoon. You could have been doing anything else. You could have been eating some good Sunday dinner, but you chose to be here on this episode with me. I appreciate it. And I definitely, to everyone watching, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Siren Sundays. We'll be doing an episode every Sunday this month because it is my birthday month. Stay tuned. I know. <laughs> Stay tuned for a potential giveaway. And yeah, let's just always remember that as a country, as different countries, the ocean is not what separates us. It's definitely what connects us. So let's stay connected to each other and to the environment and have a great Sunday. Thanks, everybody.